This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Have an opportunity to talk to our uh, Broncos writer at Mile High Sports, the host of Good Morning Broncos, the new show this morning on uh, YouTube. You check it out every morning at, at day 9 a.m. And, of course, all the work he's putting together at MileHighSports.com. It's tremendous stuff. Cody uh, Rourke NFL is the Twitter handle. Cody, thank you for joining us. Uh, appreciate it. We'll just start with, with this. Uh, Tim Patrick done for the year. K.J. Hamler waived. They call it procedural. But, look, when you're not on the roster, you're not on the roster. The... Comments today from Sean Payton indicate that that big receiver slot uh, still needs to be filled, and perhaps a fellow undrafted player like Tim Patrick, Brandon Johnson, is going to get the first crack at it. What have you seen? Yeah, I, I would say that's spot on, and, and really this predates back to OTAs and minicamp when Tim Patrick was healthy but was not doing as much yet. They were wrapping him up. Brandon Johnson was getting a lot of the reps with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy initially in OTAs and, and minicamp. And so he has, as Sean Payton described today, he, he's one of those guys that has picked it, picked things up very quickly. And he's obviously going out there. He's demonstrating it. He's coming up with some big plays. It, it, it kind of excites me, man, because, you know, I, I always love the underdog story. And you look at Brandon Johnson. Last year he was this guy in, in training camp. He was this guy in the preseason. Then he suffered that unfortunate ankle injury that led to the team coming to terms on an injury settlement. He eventually came onto the practice squad. But, yeah, these are the things that have been standing out to me, you know, when we talk about it, about practice so far. And, obviously, you can't replace Tim Patrick and what he brings to the table, what he can do. But but I do think you can supplement it with other guys. And if Brandon Johnson's stepping up, that is good. And I imagine Denver's going to keep their eyes on the free agency market just in case. But they might have some things in, in store. But, the vibe right now is that they're looking in-house with the guys that they have, the guys that have been with the program since OTAs and minicamp, which, it, you know, I can't say I fault that. Well, uh, you have a couple of ex-Saints in Callaway and Humphrey. Uh, obviously, you have Mims. Uh, you have Kendall Hinton, who's off pop now. And you have uh, Virgil, who caught a 66-yard touchdown pass last year at Tennessee from Russell Wilson. How do any or all of those players figure into the mix? And do you believe the third receiver position will eventually be filled not by one player, but perhaps by as many as three? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be the latter, what you just said there. And I'll even throw Montreal Washington's name out there today in practice. He had a big-time touchdown catch. It came from Jarrett Stidham, but... The way that Sean Payton, and this is one thing I, I've really enjoyed watching about his practices, and I think while everyone's like, oh, wow, you know, the defense is plus on the offense, you're seeing things that Sean Payton is instilling in terms from, you know, a, a schematic standpoint, structure standpoint. And Stidham just unloaded a dime, probably the best play of practice so far for the Broncos to the first two days of pads and found Montreal Washington wide open behind the entire defense. And it was really created not only because of Montreal Washington's speed dynamic, but because the scheme really forced the safety to make a tough decision, he picked wrong, and bang, you have a big-time play downfield. That's what you want to see happen here in this situation. But, yeah, I think there's a multitude of guys. And, you know, we talk about K.J. Hamler. Marvin Mims has been doing more, even though he's been dealing with a hamstring injury that was not related to the hamstring injury he sustained during rookie minicamp. Uh, so that's good to see him doing more, making progress, catching some passes during the team period here. Uh, Jalen Virgil, as you mentioned, I think these three guys, Virgil, I think Montreal Washington and Marvin Mims 
those are the three guys you may have to try to figure out who supplements in that particular role that K.J. Hamler used to have here. There's a chance K.J. comes back. We'll see, but that's a little bit down the road here for the Broncos. And then you mentioned guys like Callaway, little Jordan Humphrey, Kendall Hinton's a good name in there, and then obviously Brandon Johnson. These all these guys are all competing to supplement that spot where Tim Patrick was. So I initially I came into the, the – I think you guys asked me this a, a couple weeks ago. I, I felt like there were four roster locks at wide receiver, and I said it was Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, Marvin Mims. Well, now that Tim Patrick's out, I think it, it is now Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and Marvin Mims, which means there are a lot of uh, spots open, and this is a great opportunity for guys like Johnson and even Marquez Callaway, who can play a similar role that Tim Patrick had. Yeah, I, I look at Callaway and think that's absolutely a, a, a lock at this stage. But uh, when you're looking at the receiver depth, a lot of this is potential. But when you're looking at players that are available, I'm not sure there's much help out there. It seems like the Broncos just have to find a way to get through this. These first couple days in pads, and I guess let's zoom out a little bit because uh, I get it. These practices are important. The padded practices are very important, uh, but not to get all Allen Iverson on us, but they are practices. And, and when we get to the point where, you know, we're, the normal spot at this where we're looking at this guy threw the ball through this net this many times in a row or hit the garbage can. Oh I mean, God, we, yeah. we get to the point where some of it's a little <laughs> silly, right? So how much can you really take away from these? If you're a fan, if you're, for example, explaining to the fans they're going to go to practice, tell them what, what should they actually be looking for that means something? Yeah, I think, I think that practice is where mistakes, you, you want to get these mistakes out of the way, right? You want to make these mistakes in practice because they have multiple angles of film on everything they have cameras specifically on the quarterback that watches them, and it goes through their process. You have to make these mistakes in order to learn. And Look, Justin Simmons intercepted Russell Wilson today, just did a terrific job jumping a route and reading it um, out of a disguised coverage look there. And everyone's going to be, you know, hey, Russell Wilson, oh, my gosh, he threw an interception. You know, I, I think that, yes, Russ threw an interception, but this is day two of pads, and the offensive line hasn't been able to hit anybody or engage with anybody really until yesterday. And so they're going to get their chemistry down pat with one another. They're going to get to where they need to be. If Russell Wilson, let's say, has a consistent string of practices where he is struggling and, and they're not able to do much against the defense, which the defense caused a lot of pressure in today's practice, Zach Allen, Jonathan Cooper, Nick Benito creating pressure here uh, on the interior and off the outside, I, then I would say like next week as they prepare for Arizona and, and let's say Russ plays in Arizona, which I imagine he'll probably play, you know, quarter or something like that. I would look at that and then I would be concerned then right now. I'm not so concerned. And I, I always try to encourage that to Broncos fans because, you know, the microscope on the offense is much bigger because of how bad they were last year. Russell Wilson's rule for error in the eyes of the fan base is very minimal, but practice is the breeding ground where you are going to make mistakes and, you know, I always encourage people, and Sandy, Sean, you were here in 2018 for Broncos practice as well, where Case Keenum lit up the no-fly zone and all those guys there didn't throw a single interception uh, until I think three weeks late into camp, but he was just dominating and torching the Broncos defense. We saw how that went in the regular season. So you can't invest so much into what you see here at these practices just yet. Yeah, maybe that was the last time that the offense ever looked better than the defense. That was five years ago. <laughs> Uh, and it certainly uh, can't be said at any of the practices this year that uh, at least so far the offenses look better than the defense. I want to go back to Patrick for a second. Obviously, everyone hopes for uh, a full recovery, but it would be two years out of football. And we were talking yesterday about the three-year deal he signed for $30 million. That guaranteed money 
goes off entirely the contract for 2024. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, aren't Tim Patrick's chances of coming back with the Broncos about the same as KJ Hamler's chances of coming back with the Broncos? No guaranteed yeah. money left on his deal. In twenty four. Yeah, that is a that is And a it's ten million dollars in savings if they release him. Yeah, and, and that's tough. And I and here's also something I think we not to throw it out there, but it also would not shock me if Tim Patrick were to retire. And, and the reason I say that is this is a guy back in his college days at Utah. I mean, he, he broke his leg in half against the Oregon Ducks. I remember yes. watching that game. Yes. And then, you know, you have the AC like that impacted his ability. And he obviously had to make it as an undrafted rookie free agent, tons right. of talent. Now, obviously he's, he's risen to where he is now, but then the ACL last year, the Achilles back to back. I mean, we've seen this happen before with guys like Clay Thompson, uh, Kevin Durant, to name a few. It, it's different, though, in football because it's more physical. And what Tim Patrick does requires so much more physical movement, planning, cutting. It wouldn't shock me in the slightest if Tim decided to step away. And I, I think that he would probably get into coaching, which I think he'd have a terrific job there. He did a really good job last year behind the scenes with these guys at the wide receiver position. But, um, yeah, at this point, I mean, it makes it seem like, okay, hey, you know, considering these circumstances, it's not Tim Patrick's fault. Not sure if the Broncos hang on to that, but – it goes to one of those things. How does George Payton, Sean Payton view him if he can come back and make a full recovery? What are they going to do? I, I don't know. Um, I think a lot of that is, is a little too far out. But, yeah, I mean, from a business standpoint, you look at it, and it would make sense if they did move on at some point. We're talking with Cody Rourke of Mile High Sports. And now uh, let's turn our focus to the to the, the line of scrimmage, the defensive line and the offensive line. We know the offensive line has been overhauled, you know, the defensive line as well. As we've talked about it before, when you looked at the projected depth charts, and of course injuries have already messed with that, but prior to training camp this year and prior to training camp last year, 18 of the 22 starters on the offensive defense were expected to be the same. The changes were specifically on both of those lines. Uh, the line interaction at this point, who has stood out, who has looked like they're a little bit behind, you know, what do you see there? Do the Broncos uh, seem to be generating a pass rush, and is the offensive line hopefully good enough to hold one off. Yeah, I, I think there's some validity to, to every out element in which you asked here. And, and what I mean by that is there were some mistakes today during practice. Mike McGlinchey had a, had a false start, and that's something Sean Payton does not like. Sean Payton ripped into the offense today, uh, the first-team unit, because they came out of the huddle and they didn't have a tempo. They didn't get to the line to get going. He made them get back in the huddle again and redo it. Uh, so I like that fire. I like some of the stuff that we're seeing there from Peyton in that regard. But there was a play here on the interior offensive line that just really excited me. You know, I'm a big fan of trench warfare. And Lloyd Cushingberry, Ben Powers on one play, they double-teamed D.J. Jones, and they, they both used their leverage to take advantage of that. They created a massive hole for Samaj P. Ryan, who had a great inside run for a big-time game there. There's that physicality there. For me, I would say my early concern right now is definitely at the offensive tackle position. I, I still think that Garrett is still Garrett Bowles trying to get his feet under him still, and it's going to take some time. But Glinchy obviously missed several days last week as he dealt with a personal matter. So does that change over time as you know he gets more ingrained? And then Cam Fleming, you know, he had a little bit of a rough day from my perception. Uh, there were a couple of plays where he got ragdolled once by Nick Benito and the other one. I think it was by a defensive lineman who shot across. I mean, the way that the Broncos are blitzing up pressure, it's not just straight one-on-one looks. It's it's crossing face. It's sending another guy. It's like different pressure looks that we saw a little bit last year from some simulations. But 
if I had any concern, to be honest with you, in the offensive line, it is at offensive tackle right now, just with consistency two days into camp. Uh, again, uh, conforming to uh, reputational standards, McGlinchey certainly not known as one of the better pass-protecting offensive tackles in the NFL. Uh, he's known more for his run blocking, uh, even as a tackle. And on the other side, uh, the one thing I would say in Garrett Bull's defense is that he's had a hell of a lot of different offensive line coaches through the years. Yes. And this year, yet again, he has a new offensive line coach. <laughs> I, I mean, some of these guys, like Sandy, you make a great point. I, I don't think people realize if, if they've never played any kind of sport and, and you're, a, you're a mainstay and you have no continuity, it's, it's so hard because you're being taught something new, something different every year, and it's really hard to find that in the NFL. There's some offensive linemen that stay with the same team, have the same offensive line coach for years, and there's a, a trend there in terms of, okay, it's a really good offensive line. He's a really good player. Oh, you know, he's got a really good offensive line coach who's been there forever. It's been a constant revolving door, and not just an offensive line coach. but I mean, different positional coaches, coordinators, head coaches in Denver. It has been a revolving door, and they're going to have to find a way. And, and look, I, there's a saying that Denzel Washington said in the, the equalizer that I really like. And, look, it could be ugly for the Broncos to start here, but when you pray for rain, you got to deal with the mud, too, and, Maybe Denver is going to go through the mud a little bit this year in hopes that they can reach common ground next year or in a couple of years from now. It's so hard to project, and they still could even do it this year. But that's a big factor, Sandy. Continuity something that the team has not had at coaching and turnover for quite some time. I agree with everything you said there. My question for that, Cody, would be, however, is the Broncos fan base ready for that? Because I don't think this is a quick fix. I think this is the beginning of a yeah. turnaround, and I think there can be progress made, but it's not going to necessarily end in the playoffs. Do you believe the fan base has been worn down by losing and missing the playoffs enough that they can now see the difference between progress missing the playoffs, or is it all just, as Peyton himself said it, maybe setting himself up, playoffs are bust? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I think from my – just a lot of fans I've, I've spoken to, and I'm, I don't want to speak for every Broncos fan, but I've spoken to a lot of fans who, who just tell me that they're skeptical and that they're going to remain yes. skeptical until proven otherwise, yes. which I think is fair. I mean, because that this is why Sean Payton came in, because, it, you know, we have. There's been a lot of hype around this team for the last few years uh, with offseason moves, what they've done, and then it's been a, a massive letdown. And I think Broncos fans – they love the team. They want them to be great, but they're like, you know what? I'm just going to be very skeptical. And if you prove me wrong on, on that, and I, I'm happy that you guys are winning, then yeah, everything's good. But yeah, I think you've been burnt so many times. It is hard to, to have that buy-in from the fan base. And so I think that's a big key on this year. But my, my advice would always be, I, I'm, a, I'm a patient guy. You know, in the world of football, Sean, Sandy, it, it changes every single week whether it's an injury that comes up, there's so many different factors that impact and influence your football team. That's why it's one of the more complex games in, in all of professional sports. But I'm a week-to-week -week guy. And, you know, you may look bad week one, but week two you can look really good. And then week three you might go back to looking bad. It's just about finding it at the right time. And, and you know, unfortunately you got to win games because the schedule is going to be tough for Denver to start. And even at the end of the year, the outlook on paper, I would say I wouldn't expect big – big strides this year i'd expect them to be more competitive i expect them to win more games than they did last year do they make the playoffs that's a huge question right now it's going to be a very tough road and they're going to have to overcome quite a bit in order to get there and and, and that's why we focused at the beginning of the show on 
uh, the extent to which it's realistic to expect uh, Russell Wilson to play better for Sean Payton than he did for uh, Nathaniel Hackett a, a year ago. And, and again, it's the extent that we're talking about. And uh, you probably saw it. You follow these things. Mike Sando did his annual quarterbacking tiers column uh, with the help of uh, uh, eight general managers, 10 head coaches, 15 coordinators, 10 executives, four quarterback coaches, three analytic types, and a partridge in a pear tree. Uh, uh, all of that. Uh, and uh, Russell Wilson uh, suffered, uh, at least uh, uh, in their rating system, the biggest drop one year to the next of any quarterback in the 10-year history of the quarterback tiers. Uh, he dropped from a very highly rated tier two type quarterback to um, maybe middle of the pack tier three guy, which seems about right to me. And given that the team's fortunes are likely to coincide with Wilson in particular and offensive improvement generally, uh, don't you think he has to get back, if not exactly to where he was, relatively speaking at the end of 2021 if not exactly to that point then very close to it and and more like a tier two guy who will carry you to wins and maybe has a hole or two in his game might need some help but doesn't need a hell of a lot of uh, help because it again it seems that he won't have a lot of help they've already lost Patrick again at least on offense he's not going to have a hell of a lot of help yeah, no, and that's where you really hope that your evaluation, you know, as a scouting department, pro personnel, that you're, you, the guys that you have in can match what you need from them. You know, it's it's time for the young guys who, you know, a lot of the traits are like, hey, this is developmental. This person could help us in, in two to three years. Well, maybe that is accelerated. Maybe that person has to show you something now because they simply don't have time to wait considering their circumstances. I, I do imagine Denver will have their eyes on things. I just thought about it yesterday, though, when the injury happened to Tim and obviously the news of KJ. I, I'm glad they didn't trade any, any wide receivers in the offseason because then that position room right now would look very, very bad. And it would look like Russ wouldn't have anybody around him. So, yeah, I think this is a fluid situation for the team. And, yeah, he's going to need some help. He, he can't do it on his own. I know he tried to shoulder a lot of that responsibility last year, but it's going to require contributions from everybody. And, we don't know who it's all going to be. We just hope that, hey, these big names do step up and Denver can stay healthy doing that. And I think if they can, I think they will make strides. But a lot of it is going to be on Russ and the offense to kind of right that ship. He is Cody Rourke. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Cody Rourke NFL, the host of uh, Good Morning Broncos right here on Miley Sports. Get that on MileySports.com or on YouTube. And, of course, all the coverage at Mile High Sports that Cody puts together in written and video form. One of the reasons that we tell you in every one of our programs, even listening to this show, you want to get the app because all of it happens all in the same place. You can listen to all the shows live or you can watch uh, shows like Cody's Live or you can make sure you get all of his work that he's, that he's writing as well, all in the same place. So uh, appreciate the time, Cody. Uh, we're getting closer preseason right around the corner. Thanks. Absolutely, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Look forward to seeing you guys. All right. Cody Rourke joining us ahead uh, of Denver Broncos, uh, our beat writer for their Mile High Sports. There, I'm going to be out to practice tomorrow and give it a peek a little bit. Get back there at the at the facility and uh, look a little bit at this team as they continue to adjust and adapt. Uh, 
curious what your thoughts are about the Broncos now following the injury to Tim Patrick, waving of K.J. Hamler, uh, the comments apparently of at least all parties that have been discussed have had their, their opportunity to talk about it. Is it time to start focusing on the actual football? What do you want to see next? 303-831-1340 is the number. Uh, we'll make a short detour a little bit. A couple things to take a peek at, of course, the U.S. women's soccer team and a uh, very unusual hill that the University of Colorado is trying to climb. Uh, not recruiting, not the coach, it's the quarterback. I'll explain next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back to the program. Hope you're enjoying the uh, second day of being in Afternoon Drive. I know uh, we are, so nice to be with you. Everyone listening, appreciate it. Uh, drive safe out there if it gets kind of wet and visibility goes down. Uh, take a look at some of the other things in sports. Obviously, last night, Portugal and the United States, the U.S., a heavy, heavy favorite. Uh, they get a scoreless tie, basically at about uh, just about 10 minutes remaining in the game. Uh, head coach Vladko Antonovsky, who has major uh, Larry Brown coaching the U.S. <laughs> men's team vibes right now. Just doesn't Maybe not, maybe not the fit they thought. Uh, essentially decided to go for the draw, subbing in a couple of players late with the idea of finishing it off because the U.S., if they could simply get a draw, would advance. They would not win their group because uh, the, the Netherlands, who had tied to them one-to-one in their previous game, uh, absolutely obliterated uh, Vietnam in their final game. Uh, Vietnam, by the way, U.S. won 3-2-0 in their opener. In the three group games, the U.S. scored a grand total of four goals. All of them, by the way... Congratulations. Uh, it is, by the way, Colorado Day, August 1st, uh, Colorado 1876, given statehood. All four of the U.S. women's team's goals scored by Colorado kids, a pair by Sophia Smith, originally from Windsor, and a pair by Lindsey Horan, originally from Golden. Uh, all the other 49 states, feel free to step up and score a goal here or there because uh, that's a problem. Uh, if you're the United States and you've scored one goal in the last two games now that you're in the knockout stages, there's an issue, and I did not... Uh, get a chance to uh, to catch it myself because uh, I have DirecTV and DirecTV and Fox are fighting, and uh, so I can't watch it on there, so I had to stream it in uh, Espanol on Peacock, which is uh, fine. My Spanish is no es terrible, but that's not great. And so uh, enough to make it through. Not a problem, though. I kind of understand how soccer works. You can watch it. But Carly Lloyd apparently uh, went more or less scorched earth on the, on the team after the game, yes. pointing out that... Uh, they had crossed the line from confidence into arrogance. And I, I think the coaching has not helped. Uh, Andonovsky has seemed very reluctant to use subs at all. And when he does, it's kind of interesting no, they, times. They, haven't they started the same group every game? And now they can't because. Uh, yes. Uh, Rose Lavelle, one Rose Lavelle is one of their critical, and... critical players in the midfield. And the midfield has yeah. been the issue for the U.S. But the U.S. going for the, the third championship in a row, that was always going to be tough. No one's done that. And, and the U.S. is not. Uh, won every World Cup, but they've also not found themselves ever at a position where they could have been bounced in the in the group stage. And late last night, well, Portugal a, hit the post. Portugal hit the post mm-hmm. clean on. I mean, yeah. dead straight 
on, rebounded directly back. That goes in. The U.S. is out. That's so exactly right. That there's bad for the U.S. at the same time, Sandy. I guess I look at this when I look at the overall sports and I look at World Cups and I think about this with the Olympics now and basketball following the Dream Team decades ago. It's a good thing for the sport because what happens is you have you have a, a splash like that, like the the Dream Team was, and the Nikola Jokic's and Giannis Antetokounmpo's and Luka Doncic's of the world uh, are in the NBA now. Because of the dream team, because of the understanding that uh, countries wanted to step up and be able to compete and, and go ahead and, and work on their basketball and bring that sport to other other countries. The reason those players are here at all in the NBA is because of that. And the U.S. needs to be aware, uh, yeah, you're, you're the gold standard and everybody's coming for you. And they, they don't look prepared. I don't know at this point, getting out of group, if they end up losing in the knockout round, uh, it, it's kind of a... It's disappointing. I don't think it's a disaster since no one's ever won three in a row. But it's also, I think, a sign that this sport continues for uh, women's soccer. And by the way, Denver in the mix for a potential WNSL, uh, NWSL team, pardon me, uh, continues to grow in a really rapid fashion. But yeah, this is a, a challenge. They will find out who they play uh, a little bit later. They will play the, the winner of Group G, which is seemingly likely to be a Sweden, but we'll find out. Uh, either way, they're in big trouble. Uh, they are. They can't score. And uh, apart from uh, two players, uh, they can't score. Um, the The whole business with Rapino uh, is beyond my level of understanding. Off, she came off the bench and she did look. I thought that she came off the bench at the right yeah. time, but boy, she well, looked sloppy. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, she hasn't played. And I, I find that a little puzzling. And of all people, you'd expect to say something. She might be one, and she hasn't been. She's been a good no, soldier about it. Pretty quiet about it. And, uh, you know, we'll find out they will not have Rose Lavelle, uh, who's one of their most talented midfielders. She did get the second yellow, as you pointed, so she will be suspended for that knockout round game. That game, uh, we'll find out tonight, uh, who, well, I guess technically tomorrow morning, who they'll play. That game will happen on uh, Sunday. And uh, if you're like me and you wanted your uh, some sort of lunatic staying up uh, all night to watch a zero-zero tie, which is what I did. Uh, it'll be at 1 a.m. on Sunday the 6th, uh, but it might not go very well, uh, but it will be at the magnificently named Melbourne Rectangular Stadium in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I, I do want to get back to the Broncos, and I want to touch on the Buffs, but I, but I guess I saw an overlap here that I could not help but notice. Teams like Portugal... Teams like the Netherlands have sort of figured the U.S. out and had a little Russell Wilson vibe to me. The United States seemed absolutely hell-bent on through balls that would go to the big, long run out and the easy goal by Morgan or Smith or Williams, the, 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 you know, the highlight reel type plays. And defenses in this tournament, including Vietnam, who... They held the U.S. to three goals, which, by the way, given what happened to the Netherlands, you know, was actually a, a pretty solid performance uh, for Vietnam because they did the same thing. They coughed up seventh of the Netherlands last night. It could have been worse. The U.S. is stubborn and wants to go for the big highlight reel plays. And the teams they're playing are more than happy to just clog the midfield and not let the U.S. through on those long ones. Equivalent of two safeties high. Don't let anyone get behind. And the stubbornness of the U.S. to play the way they've right. always played looks a little bit like what we've seen with Russell Wilson. 
Arrogance that, more than confidence. A little right. bit more. And, and that was kind of fascinating to me. So, you, you know, you see how that happens in sports uh, all over the place. It can happen. You've had success. You believe that your way will work. Even when other teams adjust, you believe, not my way will work because it's always worked for me. That's not a good way to go in sports. Uh, it adjusts. It adapts. It evolves. U.S. women's team have to evolve just like Russell Wilson will have to evolve. Turning our attention very briefly up to Boulder, uh, great work by Brian Howell, who, by the way, if you're not reading Brian Howell over at buffzone.com, I, I you know, have any interest in the buffs, obviously, because uh, he's done great work over the years. Had, a, had an interesting interview with, with uh, Shadir Sanders, and then we'll have one of those coming up, obviously, in our newest Mile High Sports magazine in a few weeks as well. But brought up an interesting look, talking about his career and the success he's had, but coming up to the Power 5 level. And the answer, I think, pretty mature for a guy of his age, say, I just focus on it as the next thing to do. I let everyone else research and stuff like that. I just focus on the next task at hand, and that's what we've got to do. But the interesting part of it, not only were they 1-11, but the history of being the quarterback on your dad's team, past, of course, you know, Little League, Pee Wee, whatever, it's not good. Uh, the research that Howell put together, only eight situations in major college football since World War II has a head coach has his son at the full-time starting quarterback. And in Power 5, Shadur Sanders will be only the fourth quarterback in history to be the full-time starter for his father's team. The Kansas State in, 19, in 1982, Minnesota in 1980, and the Buffaloes themselves, Cody Hawkins for Dan Hawkins in 2007. Hawkins went to the Independence Bowl in 2007, that's out of those times, one of only two times in history Power 5 schools have ever sent a team with a father-son-coach-quarterback combo to a bowl in history. Is that purely sort of a coincidental thing, or is that the nature that, look, sometimes the fathers aren't the best judge of their sons? And aren't the best coach for their sons. Well, I, I, I found in the situation we observed here with Dan Hawkins, the coach, mm -hmm. and Cody Hawkins. The it's player, one of the few times it's ever worked. <laughs> that Cody Hawkins, I thought, handled the situation generally much more skillfully than his father. I did. agree with you. His father was always on the defensive. Uh, as far as I could tell, Cody Hawkins was exceedingly popular with his teammates, connected with them. Uh, did not pretend to be something or someone he was not. And uh, the coach, perhaps understandably, uh, very much always on the defensive. And the son almost never, that I can recall, never on the defensive. Uh, he was one of those guys who uh, wasn't awful, clearly wasn't great. No. The was, year they went to a bowl game, adequate. 22 touchdowns to 17 yeah. interceptions. Yeah, it was of, adequate yeah. for a good team, which they did not really have. And I thought he had as much uh, to do with them getting as far as they did that year and getting to the Independence Bowl as anybody else on the team. I, I thought he was a, a decent player on a decent team, uh, not a good team, not a bad team, a decent team. And... I thought he was at least as good as the team around him and maybe even a little bit better. And again, uh, I I thought it was remarkable that uh, at least most of the time he showed more maturity than his father did on the entire issue. And it's I Division One football! 
<laughs> uh, by the way, fun little note there. Uh, the Independence Bowl, one, still exists. How about that? Uh, two, has a time with the Pac-12 this year, CU's final in the conference. CU went 6-7 and seven that year before losing that Independence Bowl to Alabama, which was not the Alabama as we know it today back no, then. No, that was early Nick Saban, right? Uh, yes, that yeah, that was obviously a, a, a different era there. But I, I, this is one of the things I think is intriguing about this because there is a potential, I guess, risk there. It, it makes sense for the Buffs who had become so desperate, you're going to take whatever you can get. Uh, and Shadur Sanders, by the way, really looks like he can play. I mean, I was up for the black and gold game. I, there's a lot to like. Shadur Sanders is better quarterback than Cody Hawkins. I, yes, yes. And uh, uh, Shadur Sanders needs to, also needs to be. get rid of the ball a little faster. Yeah. Slider yeah. guy. Okay. But, but Shadur Sanders is probably, in the 21st century, the best quarterback Colorado's ever. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that, and he hasn't played And he game. hasn't played a... Division one game yet? No. FBS game. Uh, we'll find out. Of course, their opener against TCU is a, a month from tomorrow, the second of September, in a national That's television true. against the uh, uh, TCU. And, then we'll uh, find out. I will be there. So, yeah, uh, this uh, this I, I'm intrigued to see how that goes. I really am because I think it's going to be a. Um, we've talked about it. I don't think a, a a bowl game is in the cards. It's not impossible. I think it's the ceiling. I think six wins is the absolute ceiling for the buffs at this point. But again, it doesn't mean you're not turning things around as well. So a lot to watch uh, going on in Boulder as they, by the way, hit camp uh, starting today as well up in Boulder. Uh, We said before, this is your show. 303-831-1340, by the way, is uh, that situation. So, you know, send in those texts. Uh, We have a couple of those, but want to remind you, by the way, if you've been injured, you know, you can't wait around to get a win. You need one now, and that's why you need to talk to our friends at Burnham Law. That's BurnhamLaw.com. 720-845-7001 is that number. Hire the winner. That's all they do. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients' locations. Easy to find. Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, up north in Cheyenne, and right here where Mila Sports is in the DTC. When you're injured, they push for you to get your maximum recovery. The best way it works out for you, whether that's settlement or by trial. They're working to get it for you, not for them. So don't hire someone off a billboard when you're hurt. Hire someone who will fight for you and put you first and goes and gets the wins. That's Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. We'll turn our attention back to the Broncos and your text next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Broncos, of course, uh, going through training camp and uh, obviously trying to bounce their way back again from uh, injury situations. Tim Patrick, of course, knocked out for another year. Both injuries suffered on the fifth day of training camp. Some pretty awful luck there. We had uh, Cody Rourke join us a little bit to talk more about that, but we also want to get uh, your texts as well. I know that uh, Danny Bailey in the booth has been taking a look at a couple. Uh, Danny, what stood out for you? First one here, my bet is Wilson will not perform as Peyton wants him to. My bet he doesn't finish the year as the starter. So a little bit of a bold take there that uh, Russell Wilson won't even make it all the way through the 17-game schedule. I, I think if you're talking about Look, injury can happen to anybody at any time. 
I believe that's a possibility, but I think Russell Wilson has to be really, really, really awful. I mean, disastrous uh, for him to go to, to Jared Stidham. Do I believe that Sean Payton believes in Jared Stidham? I do. I believe that Stidham is less about this year and more the opportunity that if, if Wilson is so disastrous that the Broncos have to move on from them, that you have Stidham that you can use at least as a one-year gap as the Broncos try to find their next great quarterback. Well, I think the record will determine the decision, and they have eight games before their bye week in week nine. Uh, they play their last game before the bye on October 29th. They come back on November 13th. And if during those eight games they are worse than four and four, I think they're very well could be a change uh, coming out of the bye week on November 13th uh, at Buffalo. Now, does it have to be week 10 or not at all? No. Could happen the next week at home against Minnesota or the week after that at home against Cleveland. Maybe starting Stidham in a home game. Uh, that they have a better chance to win than they would have in Buffalo, regardless of who the quarterback is. Maybe that would be the way uh, they went. Uh, Their two home games leading into the bye are against Green Bay and Kansas City, and I'm thinking going into the bye, if they aren't at least 4-4, and uh, they aren't going to the playoffs in 2023. The the post-buy schedule is much too tough. At Buffalo, uh, at the Chargers, at Detroit. Detroit's got a good team. Uh, I don't know if it's a playoff team, but they won eight of their last ten games the Lions did last year. And I guarantee you, if the Broncos had won eight of their last ten games last year, people around here would be inside and outside the facility at Dove Valley jumping for joy over their playoff prospects in 2023. Uh, They close out with two home games against New England, the Chargers, a game at Las Vegas. Uh, If they're out of playoff contention by then, uh, yes, I, I could see Stidham coming in after the bye week. I could see him coming in at some point in December as he did a year ago, replacing Derek Carr, who is still regarded as a, a, a decent quarterback. In fact, I, I, w- I was astonished. Uh, not all the evaluations are the same, but you can throw a blanket over Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Jared Goff, and maybe even Mac Jones and Kenny Pickett. And I'm not sure there's a huge difference other than the quality of the team around them. If you take those five quarterbacks in isolation, I don't think there's a dime's worth of difference among those five. Now, Cousins has a has the best receiver in football on his team. Uh, yes, uh, Derek Carr is going from an awful defense and special teams combination with the Raiders to actually a pretty good one in New Orleans. New Orleans' problem is scoring points, which is strange considering Sean Payton has coached New Orleans in, what, 15 the last 17 right. years? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Goff, who had a running game last year and had a great receiver, pretty good offensive line, and a defense that really came on the last 10 
uh, games with Aiden Hutchinson leading the way. He looks like a keeper. Yeah. Uh, an excellent Detroit draft pick. Uh, Detroit hasn't played any defense since the 1950s. <laughs> uh, it's a, it one playoff win in 65 years. So, um, yeah, and I, I think Mac Jones will have a better chance to play well with Bill O'Brien. I'm not a big Bill O'Brien fan, but he's a legitimate offensive coordinator mm-hmm. as opposed to the two co-coordinators last year, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Patricia, a pretty good defensive coordinator, and Judge, a decent special teams coach who both failed stupendously as head coaches in the NFL and had never coached a day of offense in their lives <laughs> to speak of uh, going into last year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, could you see Jarrett Stidham in the mold of a Pickett or a Mac Jones uh, or a maybe less realistically a go off a car or cousins. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle of, of that group. And if Wilson isn't noticeably better then I would say all of those five guys, he has a chance to be replaced at some point this year. In my opinion, he's got to be at least as good as cousins. If the Broncos are going to be a playoff team and last year, uh, and even taking into account performance from previous years, he was rated behind Carr and Goff. Not far behind, but behind Carr and Goff. So he's going to have to jump over them, and I actually think Carr is with a better team this year. I think he'll have a better year. I don't think Goff will have quite as good a year in Detroit, but I think they might be a playoff team. And if you're a quarterback on a playoff team, You've had at least a good year, haven't you? Especially if, obviously, you're you're a major part of it. Bad uh, quarterbacks don't go to the playoffs. Generally, no, uh, no, unless you have some very, very maybe a year in which you know your team wins a division. And, despite and I'll tell you eight what, eight. Did, did you <clears> think <throat> Brock Purdy was pretty good? Yeah, last year, okay. But I think you could have put a lot of these guys on the 49ers, and this is nothing against Brock Purdy. I think you could have put Mac Jones on the 49ers, Jared Goff on the 49ers, Derek Carr on the 49ers, Kirk Cousins on the 49ers, which that, was supposed they, to have happened a few years ago, they by would the have way. Been, yeah. And they would have been just as good. I, I agree. You know why? I agree. Because if you're looking at the best running game in the NFL and the best defense in the NFL, I think you're looking squarely at the San Francisco 49ers yeah. who have the best offensive line in the I NFL. think if they had had Carr or Goff or, With or, or without Cousins, Mike McGlinchey. I I think they may have very well been in the Super Bowl. Well, the only thing wrong with Purdy last year was he got hurt yeah. in the championship game. If he doesn't get hurt, who knows what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that it's uh, – I, I, I just – I think this year, I, I do get the point because Sean Payton is not going to – allow Russell Wilson to continue to flail and sink his own ship. Uh, Sean Payton has a reputation to uphold. And if there's one thing we learned about Sean Payton uh, at the beginning of camp, he cares about it a lot. And so Sean Payton is not going to have a situation where he's going to be able to let uh, Wilson kind of just, you know, flounder and then say that we're, you know, we're, we're done. Um, 
he's not going to let it play out. Yeah. He's not going to let it go ahead and and uh, and make everything look bad. He, he probably will at some point pull that spot. But I I just I don't believe and this is just me. I don't believe that Wilson will be so bad at any point in the season where he will be benched. Now, do I believe he's going to be vastly better? Uh, I I think it's a an outside chance. I'm with you. I think it's minimal. Do I think he'll be quite a bit better than last year? I do. Do I think that gets him into the, the low tier two, as we talked about? Maybe. I, I, I just don't cannot think you're accounting him. for the ego of the head coach, though. And if Russell Wilson is making Sean Payton into a losing coach, he will react. And it's much easier you to replace be sure the quarterback. sure that Stidham will be any better, though. No, he doesn't have to be. If he's got a losing record at midseason, he's then, going to make a move. And then it's not his fault anymore. He's going to make the a move. Fault. Well, yeah, I, I don't even think that enters in. I mean, he's put himself on the line. He's put Wilson on the line. And it isn't enough for Wilson just to be okay. He, I mean, his overall rating in this uh, tier column is right, average. Right in the middle, 16. average. And he's 16th out of 30th. Uh, out of 30. So, I... I'm saying the patience of this coach. I think he's demonstrated that uh, popping off last week as calculated as I thought it was. I, I think it's a reflection of the coach's insecurity, and it won't take much to trigger him. And the moment he senses that Wilson is operating out of the structure of this offense, and Peyton's a big structure guy, mm-hmm. and Wilson has never been a structure guy. No. I, 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 I think this is, this, this is headed for an iceberg. I really do. I, I I think that relationship is at best tenuous when it comes from how Peyton is looking at Wilson. Wilson isn't going to screw with Sean Peyton's legacy if Sean Peyton has anything to say about it. Alan, we've talked about it. We've gone over the numbers. If the Broncos wanted to move away from Russell Wilson after the season, they could do it. But the dead cap money is $85 million. That would obliterate the old record just set in last offseason by Matt Ryan. It so. would, but depending on the timing, they could, in theory, spread that out over two years. 30 in one year and 55 in another. A lot riding on 50. it. I know. I'll be out of camp tomorrow. We'll talk more about that as it goes along. Fun talking to you today. Thanks to Cody Rourke for joining us. Of course, Cody Rourke, NFL. Danny Bailey's the man that makes everything look good, sound good. Thanks to everyone listening to us over the air, whether it's uh, in the FM or the HD radio, but uh, if you're listening on MileySports.com, whether it's watch or listen, you can watch it. That's right. You can watch the show, too. Or you can do all of that, all of it. Just grab the app, and then you get Cody's show, and Cody's writing, and everybody else covering every other one of our teams. Best way to get everything MileySports, put it in your pocket. The MileySports app It's free um, wherever you get your apps for your mobile devices. We'll be back tomorrow for Sandy Clough. I'm Sean Drotar, but keep it right here on MileySports.